Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 8.09 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Esme Murphy, uh, 83 degrees. Uh, time now for one of my favorite guests, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, but I want to tell you a quick story that you, I think you and all the listeners will enjoy. Sure. Remember back in April, I was supposed to meet Tony Oliva to show him my glove, but yes, but the um, the game got snowed out, not rained out. Snowed, snowed out. out. That was that was the blizzard, right? That was the blizzard. So it was on a Saturday. It was going to be. I think we got like fifteen inches or something like that. Anyhow, I went to the game last night, and I had my I showed it to Tony Oliva, and I had my picture taken with him. So I am thrilled. Oh, that's great! And you something uh, he is. I, I have met him. Um, he he is really. A nice, nice man. I mean, what, what did you think? I thought he was one of the nicest people ever. So I showed him my glove. You know, I have a Tony Oliva glove. A little, <laughs> you can still see it in there. And he autographed my glove. And if anybody, oh, that's wants, awesome. to go, if anybody wants to go to my Facebook page, um, you'll see a picture of me and Tony Oliva together. So I am thrilled to death. And I just wanted to do a shout out to both the, the twins because the twins' management was so nice about arranging for me to do this. Right. Okay. And, and it was. And we. You know. It's. <laughs> It's, it, the blizzard wasn't really that long ago, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> we were talking about that the other night because, what was it, like maybe two, two months ago or something, three months right, ago? Right, yeah. Shaletta and I remember it well, right, Shaletta? <laughs> you know, it's, it, right. it, was, it, was, it was rough. Um, and I think everybody remembers it pretty well. That's right. Well, once again, so much to talk about politically. Uh, it, it looks like uh, the president may is going to make his announcement on the Supreme Court pick on Monday. Yes, and, and and the president clearly reveling in being able to make a second pick. Yes, not yes. Um, Barack Obama did it. Um, I believe Bill Clinton did it. Um, I'm trying to remember if George Bush got got more than one. But but yes, clearly being able to do one is, is significant. But be able to put two people on the Supreme Court um, that's that's a real legacy because. We know, for example, Kennedy, um, who's retiring, was on the bench for more than 30 years. This is going to be a, a tremendous legacy that, that Trump will leave on the Supreme Court. You know, even if, even if he gets no more appointments, even if he's only a one-termer, two people on the Supreme Court is pretty important because, like I just mentioned here, they're going to live on there way longer than the president does. Right. And especially if he, uh, you know, apparently the word is that he wants to appoint somebody who's relatively young, which in terms of Supreme Court standards means 50, I suppose. Right. <laughs> it is. It's right. right. Because you, you, you rarely get somebody who has the kind of experience and knowledge, um, probably younger than about late 40s, early 50s. Right. So, so if you appoint somebody who's 50, many of these justices stay on until they're 80. That's 30 years. I mean, think about it. You know, where, where are we all going to be in 30 years? It's a little scary as far as I'm concerned, but you know, it, it's something that, that, that really is, is an extraordinary legacy. And, and it does, uh, you know, but once again, you have these arguments. One, one of the justices is uh, a gentleman called Brett Kavanaugh, and there's concern from, Conservatives, obviously, anybody that the president is going to name is is considered a conservative, but that he's not conservative enough, or that he may not uh, be true to conservative causes. 
how you know when somebody gets named to the Supreme Court, how many of them are kind of fit into the slot and stay there, and how many of them kind of become independent over the years? There are many examples of justices who don't sort of fit the mold of of the president who appointed them or who wind up moving ideologically from where he thought they were supposed to be. For example, there's a famous sort of story or line that's attributed to Dwight Eisenhower. They asked him once, did you ever make any mistakes? And he said, yes, and they're both on the Supreme Court. He He appointed Earl Warren. Um, as a way of getting him out of the way when he was running for president, because Earl Warren wanted to be president. He was governor of California. And he also put William Brennan on the Supreme Court, both of them who became probably two of the most liberal justices ever. Um, I'll I'll do all the lineage here. John Kennedy put put, um, um, Byron White, who turned out to be not so liberal. And then Nixon put on the court both... Um, um, Blackman and um, put, actually put Blackman on the court, who eventually became fairly liberal, and then Ford put Stevens on the court, who becomes one of the liberals. Flip it around, um, we have um, situations where some other justices, you know, just just didn't turn out to be um, exactly what some of the conservatives were hoping. If I can go in that direction now, too, right. is that Kennedy, um, who conservatives was hoping was going to be a hardcore conservative. Nope. Um, he's still conservative, but he wasn't the same as Robert Bork. So we can point to a lot of examples to where justices don't exactly go where they're supposed to be. And, and, and there are many conservatives right now who have criticized Chief Justice John Roberts. They were mad, for example, that he didn't cast the fifth vote to strike down Obamacare and instead cast the fifth vote to uphold it. So it's not always easy to predict, although in general... One of the better predictors of how a Supreme Court justice is going to vote generally is to look at um, the president who appointed them in terms of ideology. But it's a dynamic, a dynamic of nine justices on the court, and it doesn't always work out exactly the way people think it's going to. Interesting. Um, you know, let's talk about the president, because the president has been in the midst of a series of rallies, campaign-style rallies. He had two of them in our area, obviously the one in Duluth a couple of weeks ago. He had one in Fargo recently. Uh, the president really seems to be, he was in Montana, I think, just a couple of days ago, on, on, or I think yesterday on Friday. The president really seems to be thriving uh, and, and really enjoying these rallies and seeming to sort of suck up the energy from the crowd there. Uh, obviously, with the Supreme Court pick, it, it feels as if the president uh, is kind of hitting a sweeter spot than he has before when it comes to, you know, at times a pretty rocky first couple of years as president. I think you're right. I think, first off, he really enjoys the campaign and the rallying a lot. I mean, he really does thrive there. He really likes talking to his base. And, I, and, and, and you see on these stops, I think you're right. He does his best in terms of him being president when he's acting more like candidate or more, again, more sort of appealing to his base. Second, I think it's not just because he enjoys it, but also because the, um, the stakes are pretty significant for his presidency on this one right now, that he wants to hold the Senate um, in terms of Republicans, wants to be able to hold the House of Representatives, and he's campaigning um, to try to sort of you know, solidify his base 
and hope that they will turn out in 2018 so that he can stem some losses. Because generally we know that the, the, the president's party, not just with Donald Trump, but president's party generally loses seats um, in the first midterm election after being elected. And second, uh, we look at it right now, what's called the generic ballot. The generic congressional ballot has the Democrats up for the House of Representatives by over nine points, wow. which is consistent with previous models in the past where you have um, significant pickups for one party or another. So right now, it's, it's still looking like um, Democrats have a better-than-even chance of winning the House of Representatives. Senate, probably not. And I think the president's trying to figure out how to stem those losses or to maybe prevent them from occurring. All right, chatting with Professor David Schultz. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about a poll. It's an internal poll that uh, uh, Professor Schultz brought to my attention. I, I had missed this one. It's an internal poll that shows in the Minnesota governor's race on the DFL side, uh, Attorney General Lori Swanson with a, a significant lead. We'll talk about that with David Schultz after this on News Radio 830 WCCO. It's Esme Murphy back on with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. I uh, want to ask you about a poll that was in the Star Tribune. I actually did not see this one. It's an internal poll uh, that shows uh, – an internal Democratic poll that shows uh, Attorney General Lori Swanson – uh, with a 37% to 29% lead over U.S. Representative Tim Walls to 17% for State Representative Aaron Murphy. Uh, this is uh, from Minnesota Victory PAC, which is a, a Democratic group. Uh, what, what significance do you put on this poll? Well, it's, it's actors, there's lots of different things I saw in it. One of them, I think it clearly reflects name recognition right off the bat. When we think about it, of the three candidates, Murphy, Swanson, and Waltz, the only one of the three that has actually run for statewide office has been, of course, what? Swanson, and she's won it three times. And so I think she has pretty significant state, statewide name recognition at this point, and that's critical given the fact that we that we're going into an August 14th primary where not a lot of people are paying attention to the primary, although hopefully shows like this will get people to remember that there is one. So I think that's part of it. I think that it reflects the existing name recognition that's already out there um, in terms of the race. Second, what I think is significant is how far back the endorsed candidate Erin Murphy is. Um, she's she's telling what by like over twenty points, you know, behind um, Laurie Swanson, and I think that's kind of interesting. And if and I guess and, and I guess maybe combine it here, put Waltz um, and Swanson together as the endor- um, the the two sort of non-endorsed candidates. Uh, that's a pretty significant, I think, repudiation of the endorsed candidate, where you probably have something approaching, what is it, near like 60-some percent of, of the voters right now preferring the non-endorsed candidate to the endorsed candidate. Okay. How, how much, I mean, how reputable is this group? And, you know, is there a problem with any kind of poll ahead of this August primary that's going to be so different than any other August primary? Well, first off, the, 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 um, the poll's okay. It's um, I wish I had more data just in terms of analyzing it. You know, one of the things that's bad about internal polls like this is they, they get leaked, and you don't always get all the critical information you want. And, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I, I teach survey research, and there's a variety of things that I would want to look at. How many people surveyed? 
what's called the confidence level. Um, I would be curious to know margin of error. Also, um, what percentage were done by cell phone versus landline. I don't have that information, so it's hard for me to make. So it's, good, just, it's just the it's just the the raw numbers that have been written. Yeah, that's all. Not 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 all those pages and files and things that 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 you like to go over. That's right. That's the stuff that I work with my students. That's the stuff that if we're really trying to evaluate the, evaluate the quality of a poll, we need to know that kind of information. Um, and for, for pollsters, their code of ethics requires them that if they're going to release a poll, they have to release the entire poll as well as the methodology. And, 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 and that way it can be critiqued and can, and can be examined. Here, because it was an internal poll and it looks like it got leaked out, um, I have some concerns regarding uh, how accurate it is uh, and so forth, but that gets us about the only hard data that we have right now. Right. And you might recall last week when we talked, um, I mentioned to you that I had heard at least from two different sources um, that either Swanson um, or Waltz were in the lead. They were pretty close with um, uh, Murphy pretty far back. Those those were two completely different sources, and they had been referring to some type of a poll. I'm, I'm suspecting this is the poll um, that 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 they were referring to. Right. And, and you know, but but one of the things, I mean, isn't it the case when they? And obviously, we don't know because this is an internal poll, and normally you have those, you know, maybe a hundred pages of, of data, you know, going back in terms of the methodology. Right. But but isn't one of the issues here? You know, how do you conduct a poll? I mean, do you, don't you go back and say, well, did you vote in the last August primary four years ago? Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when in the governor's race. I mean, isn't that what you'd have to go back to? And isn't it really unclear who exactly is going to be voting? Right. Uh, when you do a, a poll for a general election, it's a little bit easier to do that. Although, again, in a state like Minnesota, where we have day of election, day of election voting, where 15% of the people who vote on Election Day register that day. It's a little bit more complicated to figure out who's a likely voter for a general election, but still not impossible to do. But I think you're absolutely correct when we get to something in terms of a primary, because you either have to try to establish a pattern based upon um, past general elections and maybe ask some question about voting in the past primary. Um, Maybe you have to ask a question about how enthusiastic or how important you think this election is in terms of showing up to vote. So I think for the primary, it's even, it's even harder to do good polling. And then throw one other thing in. A, um, a week ago, um, Friday is when early voting started. And to what extent um, are we looking at how early voting complicates polling as well as voting strategy and actually campaign strategy? Put all those together... This it makes it still hard to to compute um, um, exactly what this poll means in terms of who's really ahead or who's really behind. I would probably at this point say that with what I anticipate are some margins of errors that were likely out there, that it's probably the case that Waltz and Swanson um, are very very close, uh, um, and Murphy is probably coming in third at this point according to the polls. But it's all about organization, get out the vote. Um, there's still what we're looking at, what, 45, 
38 days before the actual August 14th um, primary. A lot of things can happen. But that gives us our only good poll at this point that, that gives us some sense of what's going on, at least for the Democrats. Right. And, and, and again, though, um, the turnout is, is the key. Right. And, and, and we haven't seen any projections on what that turnout could be because historically it's been pretty low. You You're know, right. We're, we're looking at probably the best we've had since an August primary um, is really about 15%. It's, and, and, and the first time we had an August primary was 10 years ago. That was in the governor's race also, or, 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 or when the governor was up for election, and we had a very hotly contested on the DFL side gubernatorial primary, Mark Dayton, Margaret Anderson Kelleher, and Matt Atenza. But we can't go beyond that. I mean, that because prior primaries before that were all in September. None of those count. None of those could be used for any kind of a basis of analysis. So we have to look at, this is something I want to do myself over the next couple of weeks, is maybe try to, you know, make some better calculations and guesses. But I, w- I would put it at probably between... 10 and 20 percent, and I know it's a huge range, but that's where my guess would be in terms of the turnout. Wow. Okay. Obviously, we're all going to have to, you know, wait and see, but a lot of races to talk about, uh, including the attorney general's race. Uh, When we come back, we're going to take a break for some weather uh, and also pay some bills with some commercials, but do want to ask Professor David Schultz about the fact that uh, Congressman Keith Ellison, who has that surprise run for attorney general, is bringing in a, a pretty big gun. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is going to be holding rallies for Congressman Ellison uh, on Friday, both in Minneapolis and Duluth. That's coming up after this break for weather and some breaks. Thank you. It is 833 in the Twin Cities. As May Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz, talking about the big August 14th primary, uh, one of the big races, of course, the statewide race that people are looking at in addition to the governor's race is that Minnesota Attorney General's race. On the DFL side, you've got, you know, four pretty big, significant candidates. Amongst them, of course, Congressman Keith Ellison. Uh, and Congressman Ellison announcing uh, just today that he is bringing in Senator Bernie Sanders to campaign for him in Minnesota on Friday at two rallies, one in Minneapolis and one in Duluth. What do you make of that? That's a pretty good move for Keith Ellison. Recall that two years ago, Bernie Sanders won the the state of Minnesota in terms of the caucuses for the presidential race with about, what, 66-67%. So this was a very, very strong Bernie Sanders area. And I think it's a good move because clearly Bernie Sanders is very, very popular among the, the Twin Cities urban liberals, but also surprisingly... Bernie Sanders is very, very popular up in the Iron Range and Duluth area. So it's not a surprise that Ellison would pick both of these places to bring Bernie Sanders. Um, Sanders has you know, high-powered name recognition. Um, the endorsement for Ellison, I think, is going to help him tremendously. I think it's going to have more value to him um, in terms of the, the rally up, up in Duluth area because while Keith Ellison's obviously very well-known, very popular in Minneapolis because he's, a, he's a, the member of Congress, representative of Congress there. Um, he has to win, I think, statewide. I think this is a really good move for him. And I'll also say a good move for Bernie Sanders because even though he is not a candidate for president yet, he has to run for his Senate seat again and get reelected. He, and he probably will do so. Uh, 
he's the front runner probably for the Democrats for 2020 for presidency, and this is kind of like a uh, a campaign rally for him too. All right, so so you you, you think we're going to see Bernie Sanders again? I do think we're going to see him here again. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Bernie Sanders come back. Maybe, maybe um, during the general election. Um, although I think Bernie he's seventy six years old. Seventy six years old. Although, although Joe Biden's seventy five. Seventy five. I know we have a um, um, we we have a lot of. The older, president. The president is seventy two. I was going to say um, we have a lot of older presidential candidates now. You know, it's um, it used to be that probably when you got into your sixties, people thought the candidates were old. When Ronald Reagan was elected back in nineteen eighty, I think he was what his mid sixties or something like that. Um, and so now, um, I hate to use that phrase, seventies may be the new sixties or something <laughs> like that. Well, and, and you know, I, I will say whatever you think of, of President Trump, you know, having covered that rally in Duluth uh, just a couple of weeks ago, you had to be impressed by. I mean, the president is seventy-two years old, and he was energetic. He talked for about an hour. Really, it was almost an hour, and it was completely. I would say 70% of it had to be unscripted. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way that was scripted. You know, yes, he had the teleprompter, you know, right there, but it, he was clearly going off of it. Uh, and he, he, you almost felt like he could have gone on for another half hour. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that, that is interesting about this dynamic with Bernie Sanders is I remember very early in 2016 seeing Congressman Ellison and, um, Ooh. just saying, well, you know, are you, you know, getting behind, you know, uh, Secretary Clinton? Because everybody was, you know, on the Democratic side was getting behind Secretary Clinton. He was like, nope, I, I'm, I'm backing Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. And this was very early on. I was kind of like, you know, I'd sort of heard of Bernie Sanders. And I was like, okay. And I thought, well, God, this is a little, you know, off. And, and then, you know, Sanders had a rally and a number of rallies here in Minnesota. And as you mentioned, ended up winning the caucuses by like 66% to 36%. And there was one poll that was done. I think just about four or five months before the um, before the caucuses that had the absolute reverse with Hillary Clinton up that high. Yeah. And, and that's why I think you got to be careful about polls in Minnesota. I mean, it literally had Hillary Clinton up way double digits over Bernie Sanders, and it ended up being just the opposite. Uh, right. I was going to say, it was like a 40 or 50 point lead in this state, and it just changed. Because the caucuses, I think, are a little bit like the primaries in the sense that because the numbers in terms of who show up is not high, it's really all about um, mobilization, it's about enthusiasm, it's about name recognition. So I th- and, and again, because people can just sort of show up, which they can for the primary, you know, they can, they can show up on the day of the primary and say, I want to vote, uh, right. or, 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 or they can do that even before. Um, um, that makes it a little bit more unpredictable in Minnesota than in some states. Right, and so I, I think I think this is you know as you said a huge coup uh, for Congressman Ellison, but you know sort of Bernie Sanders owes him because you know Congressman Ellison was out here campaigning for Bernie Sanders. He, he was really I think one of the first members of Congress and one of the few members of Congress who supported Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton, and it paid off big time. This was really one of his best states. It is one of his best states, and, and as we were mentioning before, also. Given the fact that he is so popular among Democrats in this state, both Twin Cities and you know up in the Iron Range, 
Um, this is this is right. There's all kinds of reasons why this is a really smart move um, for Keith Ellison to do this, and I think he was the front runner before for the attorney general slot. I think unless the rally somehow just really fizzles and something really bad happens, um, I think this is going to push him even more likely in terms of of being the front runner going into right. the um, into the primary. And, and you know, I will say, uh, you know, about Senator Sanders, I do remember that he did. Senator Sanders did come here to Minnesota to campaign after he had lost the nomination. He did campaign and, and did have a rally um, at Northrop Auditorium at the University of Minnesota campus for Secretary Clinton. And I remember kind of covering that rally thinking, these people aren't here for Hillary Clinton. That's right. <laughs> they're, they're here to see Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, was, it was a lot of, you know, young people. And, and, you know, yes, he was campaigning for Secretary Clinton, but the enthusiasm that was there was for him. Yes. And, and, it, it, and, and that was part of the problem is that, that Secretary Clinton couldn't channel some of the enthusiasm some of that Bernie Sanders enthusiasm into votes for herself. Right, right. And I think one of the concerns that I think Keith Ellison has is that I think he has obviously tremendous support from students, especially in Minneapolis, and perhaps students the rest of the state. But guess what? School's out. You know, school's not going on during the middle of August. And I think that makes it harder to reach those students. And I think partly having this rally here becomes a good way of using the enthusiasm for Bernie Sanders as a way of reminding students and saying, wherever you are in the state, remember, you can vote for me now, uh, but remember, show up and vote. Show up and vote. And then, you know, what are your thoughts about, obviously, the 5th District, which is Congressman Ellison's district, it's now an open seat, and Congressman Ellison won by 47 percentage points. This is one of the most Democratic districts in the country. Whoever wins that primary is going to win the general election. I mean, it, 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 it's almost a guarantee. Obviously, that turnout in that district is going to have to be higher than normal. It's going to be higher than normal because of... And, and that, that's got to help Keith Ellison in, was, in his statewide race. I was going to say it would help, it'll help Keith Ellison quite a bit. But that turnout, I think, is going to be interesting because one of the things that, that people don't realize about that district is we think of it as being a Minneapolis seat. But over, if I remember correctly, over 50% of the voters um, in Keith Ellison's district live outside of Minneapolis. Um, it's, so, it's, it's so suburbs. It's, suburbs, It's exactly. the suburbs, yeah. Right. And that becomes, I think, important here because um, the I, I would put, for example, Margaret Anderson Kelleher um, as, as one of the favorites because she will probably do well in her old legislative district because she represented part of Minneapolis, sure. and she might be um, a, a, a better candidate um, in the suburbs, or let me, say, let me put it this way, maybe a more appealing candidate in the suburbs than some of the other candidates um, for, for a variety of reasons, you know, that she's probably, even though she's pretty progressive herself, um, it's kind of strange, she's actually probably more establishment DFL um, in this primary um, than some of the other candidates, and that may work to her advantage in those suburbs. Right, although you've seen some establishment candidates Take a real hit, yes. Yes. <laughs> across right. the country. Well, absolutely correct, and that's why I think. And that's why I think. I think having Bernie Sanders come in here for Keith Ellison is, you know, I mean that's that that can't hurt. It can't hurt, but no, this is going to be a question of of, of again how how heavily mobilized we see 
um, voters within within Minneapolis because you know we do have some candidates you know who come from the Somali community you know and uh, and Latino community and to what well, you've got Representative Ilhan Omar right. and you've got Senator Patricia Torres Ray right. both re- well regarded legislators exactly and for the fifth district yeah. right and to what extent will they be beneficiaries of significant support among people in their communities um, to come out and vote for them and I could see incredibly high turnouts. You know, um, Ilhan Omar, you know, when she won the primary two years ago, um, um, beating, you know, long, long-term Representative Phyllis Kahn, um, it was because of just an enormous turnout among the Somali community. And I can see that again happening here. So again, it comes back to almost our broken record theme for tonight, you know, which is it's going to be about turnout, turnout, turnout um, um, in terms of um, what happens for the 5th District also. Right. And do you think people are, are getting – and folks out there, whatever your, your political view – and we're going to take a break here in a few minutes and, and, because we want to talk about the Republican primary for governor because uh, that's a big deal as well. But do you think people understand – and I, I hope they do – is you know wherever you are listening to us in Minnesota, if you're a Minnesota resident, you can vote – You know. Not not tonight, not you know tomorrow. Well, actually, you you can request an absentee ballot. You can actually go to the attorney, the uh, secretary of state's office, and request an absentee ballot. But do you think people understand, really get the extent to which they can vote early? I mean, you you can go to your city hall, your county office on Monday. You can request these absentee ballots. Voting is going on right now for this primary that we're talking about. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, and I think it's a good question here. Do they realize they can do that? And two, I guess at the same time here, um, is is there enough sort of recognition that there's actually a primary going on? You know, right. and, and, I mean, we're, we're talking about it, but you yeah. know, do people do people get it, or do they people know that that hey, they're on their way to the grocery store and they pass city hall, you know, and they live in St. Louis Park, they can stop by and vote, you That's know, right. on Monday. That's right. Um, and and that that's the question of of whether that I mean this is a few years old now, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering to what degree people get it because it is very convenient, and, yeah. and and it couldn't be it couldn't be easier. You really don't have an excuse not to vote because it's it it couldn't be easier. I mean, you can request an absentee ballot, you can you know go vote at your county seat, you can vote at at your city hall, and this is statewide, folks, and and you can do it. Um, is starting now through the primary. Right. It's also important to understand that that if you decide to vote and then something happens and you change your mind. Yeah, you can even change your mind. Right. And you can't. And so you, until so, like I think seven days before. Seven days. And, and so it would be what? That would be what? August 7th. And so if you cast your vote on yeah. Monday and something <laughs> happens and you say, I changed my mind, up till August 7th, you can they change They can your pull your ballot, which is really remarkable. But. Right. Because if you vote on August 14th, um, you only get one shot at it. Um, versus if you early vote, you basically get two up two bites at the apple right right and you don't get to vote twice but but they will apparently be able to pull your ballot that's what i i've been assured is they can pull your ballot and you can have a do-over yes so that 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 i think is, is pretty extraordinary and i think uh our uh, election officials need a shout out for that all right we're gonna take a quick break when we come back uh we'll talk about uh, the republican primary for governor we're not ignoring the republicans it's just there's more there's more activity and more sort of big races uh, on the on the DFL side for this primary than there are for the Republican side. But there is a big one when it comes to the governor's race. Uh, so keep it here. We're talking with Professor David Schultz. Some final thoughts after this on News Radio 830 WCCO. Mm-hmm. 
Professor David Schultz, uh, some closing thoughts here. We do want to get to the Republicans. And we've been talking more about the Democrats in for the August primary because there's more at stake, isn't there? I mean, just th- there's so many big races on the Democratic side. There's so many. You're, you're absolutely right. We have the, the governor's race. We have the U.S. Senate race, you know, with Tina Smith versus Richard Painter. We have the 5th District um, congressional race. So it's just the sheer number, uh, sheer number of contests that we have. Did I mention AG? Yeah, okay. So we have, we have the sheer number of contests and the, the, the openness in terms of the fact that, that it's pretty unclear what's going to happen. But we shouldn't forget the fact that, right, we have a Republican gubernatorial primary, Jeff Johnson, the endorsed candidate, against Tim Pawlenty in terms of um, um, challenging him. And, and that's probably the, the big race, the, the, the big race for the Republicans right now. Well, and let me ask you this, because you, know, you mentioned last week that, that you had been given access to, to an internal poll that showed Governor Pawlenty with a significant lead. And again, I, I'm guessing that this is, again, one of those circumstances where you didn't see the hundred pages of, of back documents that you could kind of go over and look at the methodology. Uh, did you have a chance to look at that? I actually feel a little bit more confident about that poll because I wrote the people who did the poll, and they actually gave me some additional information. Okay, it was it was about fifteen hundred people polled. Um, it Which had, is relatively it, a large sample, a right? Very large sample, actually. Um, it was a statewide poll. It had a a margin of error of 2.7 percent, which and is low, which is pretty good. And 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 I'll do the nerd issue now. The nerd issue is the confidence level. It was 0.05 or 95 percent, which is the industry standard. Now, the only thing I really wanted to know, which I didn't find out, um, was percentage cell phone versus landline. And I just mention that because the best polls in Minnesota now will have between 60 and 70 percent of those surveyed by 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 cell phone as opposed to to landline. So I don't have that. But for the other three things that I did have in terms of size, size, confidence level, margin of error, it's a pretty good poll. Um, And that poll, again, had Tim Pawlenty with over a 30-point lead um, over Jeff Johnson. Okay, and it's interesting. As far as you're concerned, uh, uh, polls these days need to have 60 to 70% cell phone users versus landline. And, uh, you know, I mean... (laughs) And, and I guess we should probably get rid of it. We, we, we I feel like I'm the, one of the few people in the world that still has a landline. And I guess I, we kept it because we have kids. And now, of course, they're older and they, of course, <laughs> they're not really on the landline. We still do use it. But, um, you know, most people I know don't have landlines anymore. Correct. Now, I have a landline tonight because um, cause when you folks want to call me, it's pr- the preference is on a landline because of, of still the relative stability of it. Um, right. And, and I, I will say that for landlines because we, I, I we've lost our power a number of times here over the years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you lose your power... You know that landline's still there for you. You, may, you your charger may run out or whatever, but uh, that landline is still there for you. So right, right. But the pr- but pretty much the people that I talk to who are experts are telling me that it really should be a good poll. You know that probably closer to seventy percent. A couple years ago, it was percent sell. It's probably closer to seventy percent now because there's a different demographic in terms of of who's using cell phones versus just exclusively landlines. But but again, bringing it back to that main point here, um, that Republican poll, that internal poll that I saw, um, on the face of it looked very, very solid in terms of what it was done in terms of a lot of different things. And again, if accurate, it reflected a significant lead for Tim Pawlenty. But 
that may reflect name recognition, and it still has to factor in what? That the turnout um, may not be that high. Um, it's about get out the vote. It's about a variety of different things. And so for anybody who's a Jeff Johnson supporter or Tim Pawlenty supporter thinking, well, the primary is all over, uh-uh. it's still about what? It's still about who shows up. And, and well, let me that. ask you about that because there's only that one race on the on the, the – that side, and and maybe people will be hearing this conversation. Think, well, oh, gee, you know, it's it, Tim Pawlenty. He's got that name recognition. I'm not going to be that energized to go out. Whereas there are all these races for you know Democrats to get excited about. Is the turnout more unpredictable on the Republican side? We only have about a, a minute left. Here. Yes, it is. Generally, the, the Democratic turnout um, in primaries, not a surprise, is usually larger than it is for the Republicans. Um, here, I think it's going to be more complicated because, again, you can show up on primary day and choose to vote Democrat or Republican. You, know, you, have, to do, you have to go one side or the other, but I think the fact that there's more... So you, you can't switch back and forth, you can, can you? Yeah, you can't. Let's you say can only Democrat do the Republican or, or all Democrats. Right, but given how... how how um, how many hotly contested Democratic races there are? Um, it's possible that that attracts more voters, and therefore fewer ones come out for the Republican primary, right. and, and and that makes it hard to predict. Right. Okay. Interesting stuff. All right. As always, a pleasure, uh, David Schultz. Thank you so much. No problem. And good night to all. Absolutely. All right. Big thank you to him. Thank you to Jonathan Lowe, our studio coordinator and producer, also Shaletta Brundage, and a big shout out to uh, David, David Josephson, the producer of this show. And please tune in to WCCO Sunday morning, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Mike Gustnack and I will be there live. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.